Who wants, I tell you, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Java Chat. Uh, I, I, got, I got a real good one for you today. This is, this is the other side of the spectrum. We, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship, business, and startups, and capital. Nobody talks about creative. At least not that I've heard. A lot of guys talk about, well, we're really this successful because we did this, that, and the other thing. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Cliche. Nobody talks about this. And if I'm wrong, put it in the comments because I want to go listen and I want to see if, if that's true because I got a guy today. I got a guy. I feel like a Chicago Italian. I got a guy. Hey. Bing, bada, boom. Uh, bing, bada, boom. <clears throat> and, and that's a horrible Italian. Anyway. Right. <laughs> of, of which he is Italian. Oh, sorry. Stereotypes. Stereotypes. <laughs> Perfect. Why not? Hey, um, so I have the pleasure of, of interviewing today, Dominic Domingo. And I want to read you guys some of his accomplishments. You guys are going to flip when you, when you hear this, because this is, this guy's a trip and in a, in a wonderful way. <laughs> he graduated, he graduated with distinction from art center college of design. You guys ready for the rest of it? Cause that's just the beginning. He spent 11 years as an artist with Disney feature animation. He's been on Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback, Tarzan, Little Match Girl, one by one. No way, dude. Really? <laughs> what the hell? Too? Well, and, and then oh, you illustrated books too. You illustrated books too, right? Uh-huh. Random, yeah. Hyperion, Harcourt, Disney Publishing, Wizards of Jesus, man. Mm-hmm. He went on to found the entertainment track at Art Center, <clears throat> where he taught for 20 years. While making award-winning short films, becoming a published award-winning author of a narrative nonfiction, YA fantasy, mythic fiction, and magical realism. Okay, so mythic fiction and magical realism, you're going to have to tell me afterwards. Okay. Because I... I, 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 I is a young adult. Yeah, yeah young. That's, a, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not a young adult, but I love that stuff. Okay. Um, his intimate understanding of storytelling. Now, this is one of the reasons I brought him here, you guys. Storytelling, we all know, is important in marketing. And if you're an entrepreneur and you don't understand this process, here's the guy that's going to help us understand it better. Transformation. The creative process is founded in having been lucky enough to see it in action every day of his adult life and to work with students in finding their creative voice and mastering a conceptual approach to contributing it to the world. So he does workshops and lectures. He's, in, he's an inspiring speaker, not just a motivational speaker. He doesn't give you rah-rah and send you home and you forget. He gets you to do something. Um, his speaking style is soulful and approachable. There's nothing elitist about the creativity that we all share and are driven to express. This is the reason I brought Dominic on is because a lot of people like to talk about the process, but only the process of running a business, only the process of getting to the capital, only the process of nobody thinks about the creative. What about the presentations that you have to do to to raise capital? What about the, the creative behind the product? What about the strategy? All that stuff, this matters. So I wanted to bring Dominic on, and I want to thank you right out the gate, brother. I really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us on Java Chat. Wow, thanks for having me. Mm. I'll try to live up to what you just, everything you just said. <laughs> no, no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so, so give, give me an idea of how this all, I mean, that's, that's a very brief, but talk a little bit about your journey. Where did you start all of this? I mean, how, why, why did you, why, why this? Mm. 
well, uh, it's pretty diverse. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what this is, but certainly, you know, creativity is my religion. I would say that much. And cool. I've lived, you know, I've been lucky enough to have lived, as you just read, you know, yeah. my entire yeah. life. So, but I do use the umbrella. I'm a storyteller. So whether it's sort of, you know, in enter entertainment or it's visual storytelling or it's, you know, the literature that I write as an author, you know, I, I identify as a storyteller first and foremost. So, Perfect. you know, it's been said you really can't change the world in the didactic realm. Narrative is what changes minds because yep. you tell hearts, you know, you can uh, try to be as persuasive as you want in a number of ways. But honestly, I think you touch people and change the shape of their heart and that changes their mind. So believe it or not, I kind of figured that out at some point that that's why I do what I do. So I hope that helps. Uh, you know, why this? Well, I didn't really have a choice. I just kind of came out of the womb with a pencil in my hand and it all went on from there. <laughs> I got my first typewriter at seven, you know, so I was encouraged, that helps. But I don't know, why did I choose it? Because I took basketball and then everybody else grew and I didn't, so. <laughs> I think we've all done that at some point in time. It was, um, everybody expected me to play football and I was the guy, or, or surfing, because, you know, I'm from Hawaii. Right. And, it's a and I, <laughs> yeah, it's such a stereotypical thing. And it's funny, it's like, you're either a surfer or you're a musician. Well, I took the ukulele. Guess where I was sitting? Really? I was on the beach. <laughs> singing, singing to all the wahines. It sounds like a good life. Uh, no comment. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's true. I, I think storytelling and the creative process behind storytelling is mm. extremely important. I don't think people take enough um, into account what that actually is, the creative process. Um, you talk about, I think um, there's, a, there's a widely accepted mm. format to creating something. Um, mm. Model. And, and, yeah, a model. Well, there's several, but yes, you know, the creative give, process. Yeah, give us, a, give us a typical idea of what a creative process could look like. Either pick one of the seven or talk about, you know, in general, feel, just go for it. Well, how does that work? Well, humor me a little bit. I, my way down that is to say I'm glad we got back to the idea of how creativity applies to even the marketing and all of that because – I just see it as one animal. Every, I mean, not to get too philosophical straight out the gate, but you could argue that every breath we take is an act of creativity. Literally, we're here because of the creative process. Sure. You know what I mean? It's whether, whether it's scientific or not, look at what we became. Well, yeah, but I mean, even on a biological level, it's the ultimate creative process, and it's the same steps. Mm -hmm. you know, conception, germination, birth. All, it's just the universe, so I, not to get too wacky yet, but you could argue <laughs> that the universe is a product of the very same creative process. The leap from wave to particle, there's a thought form mm -hmm. that becomes, you know, a concept that becomes a percept. Yep. So I, I'll, re I'll rein it in here, <clears throat> but um, I'm kind of glad you started with that premise because I just feel like it's all creativity. And when I look at these seven supposedly accepted models of creativity, I've joked with my sister, who's literally a creativity expert. She has her degree in it. I've joked like, we need to write our own because they don't acknowledge what happens after the execution of a project. Does it sit under the bed and collect dust? Do you share it with friends and family and feel that you've touched people? Do you get superficial validation in the form of, you know, critical reception and bank at the box office, what happens to it after you quote unquote finish it? Right. So, so to be honest, the marketing and the branding and 
all of that is to me the final step in the creative process you know you have to continue to love your baby long enough to get it out into the world and to be received and complete that circuit absolutely so I, I, i'm sure what you do is involves creativity all day every day as does all branding and marketing so that's my two cents on that when, when, when you when you take that models that's <laughs> models of creativity by the way well, i hope you don't mind i i, I love to take notes so I, <laughs> I'll just say for anyone who is interested, the Wallace model of creativity is pretty standard and that's a good one to look at. And like I said, it's just, you know, that idea of the flash of inspiration that we've all heard about, um, the germination, the brainstorming or thumbnailing, you know, which is lateral exploration. And then, you know, the execution, the, you've heard them all, those standard steps yeah. of the creative process. Yeah. What, what gets me is that there's always this rush to get through that. And I think, I don't think people give it enough um, time to gain its own feet. They, they try to push the process through and, 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 and then try to get it out for critique before it's even really settled. Well, I agree. I mean, I'd love to speak to that again in 20 years of teaching. It's like, I've learned more about the artistic journey, I call it, the lifelong artistic journey, <clears throat> but also relate different relationships with the creative process. I've learned more from my students than I ever did in art school. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of them for a documentary. So what I would say to that is, I've seen two types. I'm the type that dives in with blind faith, you know, for, I guess, for fear of sitting on my ass and never doing anything. So mm -hmm. you could argue, maybe I don't do enough foundational work. I don't do enough research, but I have the balls to go for it. Mm -hmm. And I know other people, and my sister calls it, um, I forget, it's a play on words for procrastination. <laughs> she puts a positive spin on it. I wish I could remember her term. Because she I, sees the part. I want, I want that term, find it. You send it to me by email. I, I wanna, I'll put that in the comments. Yeah, no, she thinks it's very valuable, but I kind of look, I know so many people that have that novel in them and they spend seven years researching and it's a form of perfectionism. Oh yeah. Really oh, yeah. the fear is either falling short of one's own vision or the fear of critical reception. There's some reason they never quite get off their ass and do it. So I would think, you know, the ideal would be somewhere in between. Sure. Don't blindly dive into something, have a foundation, but also don't research for seven years, write your novel. <laughs> it goes, that goes back to Seth Godin's thing, ship. If it's broken, you can fix it after, but get the damn thing out. I mean, it's just, it's, why would you worry about, and, and there's a bunch of, experts out there, the biggest one that always comes to mind is Gary Vee because he's always talking about why are you worried about other people's opinion? It's your content. Mm -hmm. Yep. The people that will identify with that content are going to surround you. And it's, it's funny. How many people do we have on this planet? <laughs> and you're worried about your next door neighbor? Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses and just get it out. Well, in terms of content or product, you just got to find your peeps, right? Not everything's for everybody. And, the, and, it, and they'll come to you. It's, it's kind of when when you look at certain things like this is the easiest one that I can use because I'm kind of ingrained into the, the industry, real estate investing. Everybody talks about building a buyer's list first. I'm like, why would you do that? Go get the deal. Put mm. the deal out and the buyers will come. They're looking for deals. If you have nothing, they're not going to want to talk to you. Build, well, that's, build it and they will come. That, exactly. The creative, wow, I never thought of it that way. That's yeah, great. and it's it's really, it, that really spoke to me when when the movie was made. And I heard that line. I was like, "That's a real estate statement." That's, <laughs> right. I don't care what you say. That's you know. Now, now I'm thinking, 
you know, I've always been a big fan of, of course, you follow your muse, you're true to your vision. Is there any other way? I just don't know. But of course, I was at Disney, which is directing by committee. There's stockholders to please, there's a brand to conform to, and it's collaborative. So man, I'm so glad I exercised that muscle for 11 years and learned to collaborate. So not to go on and on, but you know, I tend to like singer-songwriters that are just one, not even vision, but one worldview, one aesthetic, you know, one vision, as opposed to something that was cobbled together by the record company. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think there's room for all of it. My point is, you know, I love the Disney product. It's wonderful. And some of it. I like the movies we made. I like the movies I was involved in. And I'm very proud to have put them out in the universe. But uh, it's a very different animal than just being true to your vision. So, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of with you that the, you'll the, find the, your peeps if you were true all the way along you'll find your audience or your readership you know that that's it you you bring up something about your history that i want to dig into and that's moving from disney into your own world because mm. um, like you said disney is it's a structure mm. and, and it has a model and that model works very well for the shareholders and it works very well at the box office in a lot of cases all right um but why the move out while well, we're doing well there already there had to have been something. There had to have been a transformation occurring. Right. What was that? And what did what what was what triggered it? Loaded question. <laughs> um, I have a tendency to do that. Sorry. No, I love it. Um, <laughs> you spurred about twelve different thoughts that I want to follow up on. If I remember later. Hit oh, literally, I, I may not have had a choice. What happened is you may remember when everything was going digital. Toward the end of well, I kind of got in in what they call the renaissance of animation. Uh, ah, that's right. Okay. <clears throat> I got in at a very good time and I got out at a very good time. So what happened toward the end of my tenure there is, and I do have 99% fond memories, you know, but toward the end, Wonderful. what happened is the axe was about to fall, meaning everything was transitioning to digital. Uh, Pixar had sort of gone their own route. I yeah. don't know much you know about their history, but you know, all their stories were approved under the very same umbrella, the same powers that be at that time, Michael Eisner. You know, first it was Jeffrey Katzenberg, then Michael Eisner. Yep. So there was a time when people, the general public thought, man, Pixar is kicking Disney's ass at the box office. And it was like, no, 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 it's the same umbrella. <clears throat> but what happened is the higher ups weren't they, and back to storytelling, the higher-ups didn't really get that it's story that matters. Yeah. That's what's speaking to people. That translates into bucks at the box office. All day. Instead, they looked at sort of format and technique and medium, if that makes sense, and attributed the success to that. So at that moment, before I left, you had um, uh, Lilo and Stitch being done in Florida, which was the most traditional thing we had done in a long time, mm -hmm. water backgrounds you know the charm of those old school disney classics one and of my favorite movies by the way oh well, of course you're from hawaii uh, i didn't work on it it was in florida but point is it was coming out at a given moment at that same moment it was i don't know toy story 2 or 3 whatever it was at that moment they compared budget to box office budget to box office we would have town hall meetings where they would gather us all together and use a you know pie charts and point to them and you know, really look at how everything was going digital and they attributed it to that and slowly started, you know, they closed the Paris studio, they closed the Florida studio. I'm sorry, Paris survived longer than LA actually. Wow. <laughs> it's, 
it's impossible to lay people off in France for various yeah. reasons. But, yeah. yeah. But anyway, they, they started attributing the success of certain Pixar films, you know, albeit under the Disney umbrella, because they attributed, you know, the box office proceeds to the fact that it was digital. Yeah. So has everybody read the writing? I mean, we didn't need to read the writing on the wall. At those town hall meetings, they said some ominous things. They would say, okay, well, we're going to cut this many jobs in the next six months, but we're not going to tell you which ones. <laughs> <laughs> so that went, everybody got their claws out and did what they needed to do to fight for their jobs. So, you know, I said 99% fond memories. Well, I did see, you know, childhood friends that I got entire careers there at Disney turn into political monsters. So the only bad taste in my mouth is seeing that sort of thing. Yeah. But anyway, point is, I it was mutual separation, we called it, because homie's going to get his uh, separation package, and uh, we called it that. <clears throat> if I had really wanted to stay, I would have gotten under certain people's wing and gone to Art Center and learned Maya straight out the gate, meaning the digital modeling program. But what happened is a lot of us sort of took the opportunity to, I don't know, do our gallery. Oh, my buddy is a gallery painter and now he sells exclusively in hawaii and tahiti nice kind of jumped ship and followed that dream i could have stayed had i wanted to to answer your question i had other irons in the fire that i was delighted to be able to indulge perfect so you weren't you weren't just vested in one place you were you were ready to take the next story yeah, I mean, the, I, believe it or not, that was the short answer. The longer one is, um, what happened is I had had a sabbatical written into my contract. Okay. So at the time, they didn't exist before, but at that time, I had three and four-year contracts. That's pretty secure if, yeah. in, in animation. Yeah. So they don't exist anymore. If anything, they're per picture now, um, or just, um, what do they call it, like uh, mutual agreement with no contract. I forget what it's called, but anyway, I have three. I, I, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. At will, at will, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> so anyway, but three to four year contracts. And then, so when I was negotiating for my final contract there, and of course I had a lawyer, we had to go out and do that. When the success of Lion King thing spun out of control, literally like, and it wasn't greed. You just had to go out and get representation to you know because I wasn't a gossiper I didn't find out what people were making or what the union expected me to negotiate for right. so anyway, when I was negotiating that final contract I had a little children's book that I wanted to do as you saw on my resume I yep. had been I had been sort of freelancing and burning the candle at both ends with the major publishers but I wanted to do my own little picture book so I don't know I guess naively I built in a year if I was going to commit to four more years I wanted that escape hatch yeah. So I had one year during which to do my children's book. What happened is, um, it, oh, the, the art director that I had my heart set on, because it was a pretty edgy children's book, and he invited me, you know, to pitch anything I wanted. He disappeared off, you know, off the face of the earth. He left HBJ, which is now Harcourt. Okay. And there was no internet then, so I couldn't find him. There was no internet. So I thought, well, damn it. And I had the book. <laughs> ready i was sending it out but nobody else was going to pick it up because it was so edgy sure and so i kind of wasted that year off and i also had a little broken heart i went through a breakup and so they call it um you know empty canvas syndrome or what's it called blank blank page blank syndrome. page yeah 
But towards the very end of that, I thought, damn it, I better do something with this year off. So I wrote a screenplay about the broken heart. And um, it was raw, man. <laughs> I did a reading with actors and I got a lot of feedback saying, I, you know, it's, it's really raw. It yeah. might have been a little more finessing, but they, they, it just transcended and spoke to people. So that's what kind of motivated me to become a filmmaker, a live action filmmaker. So I kind of endured that final year chomping at the bit to make my own films. That's cool. So when all the layoffs happened, I was like, okay, that's the sign from the universe. It's time to move. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yep. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. But you, but you went on and experienced your own success in, the, in that filmmaking. I mean, you did well. And, well, I, you, and you've, you've done well. And uh, I mean, you're teaching now and being able to teach others this creative process. <clears throat> there's a lot involved in it <clears throat> when you're thinking about telling a story. Mm -hmm. Take us through how you consider doing something like that. What's, the, what's your creative process? And I mean everything from sitting down from in the meditation in the morning before you even do it to figuring out the, the process of how you're going to create. Well, one thing to know is those models of creativity, the steps can kind of be in different order. You mm -hmm. can kind of move them around. So I, I love that, that everybody's different, you know, and their conditions are different. Mm -hmm. uh, as an author, a lot of times when I'm interviewed, they want to know, you know, what's your writing space like? Do you like white noise? Do you have to go out and be in a coffee shop with people buzzing around you or mm -hmm. you just throw a dead chicken over your left shoulder and mm -hmm. wear fishnet stockings? Like, what is it you need to do? Right. And so I love that everybody's different. But I guess what I would say is, considering you can move the steps in the creative process around, you know, maybe you germinate longer than somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then that lightning strike happens, that flash of inspiration, because your subconscious has been assembling all those pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, the way I answer, you know, they often say in these interviews, what inspires you? Where do you get your inspiration for your novels? And I sometimes can't remember, you know, because they've lived in me sometimes from childhood, but I finally got the flash of inspiration that allowed me to indulge a given story, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I can't always answer it because it's a, just a lifetime of being what I call sort of primed. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is if you're, you've identified yourself as you name it, and it doesn't have to be the arts, anything remotely creative, and that can include engineering or mm -hmm. mathematicians, you mm -hmm. name it. Mm -hmm. But let's say you've identified yourself as a creative being, sorry. Then you're, pop, you're famous. Everybody wants you. It's all good. It was just, I would say the president normally. It was, <laughs> it was Obama. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, I, the way I put it is, I think I identify, you know, long ago, I identified myself as an artist looking to tell stories. So then I think of myself as primed and sort of an antenna and just receptive all day, every day. And Everyone can relate to that. You have days where you're sort of in the flow of synchronicity mm -hmm. and you're inspired mm -hmm. every moment. And then there's other days that are more like dry spells. But anyway, my answer is sometimes it's just an image I see during the day. But because I'm primed, I have to go home and, you know, take a note into my phone or go home and jot down a thumbnail. But the way I put it is it's often like a juxtaposition of incongruous images like, I don't know, literally a bird splashing through a puddle. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. could be, could be. Yeah, no, I get you. 
I, I mean, if you're at all interested, I have a specific example. It's not that long, but the do young it. adult. We got novel, time. Do it. The young adult novel that you mentioned, mm -hmm. which you know, one of my babies that I've continued to love in promoting it. They're my children. You know, those characters, are my children. So I've never dropped the ball on it. Mm -hmm. And even writing the sequel kind of refreshed my relationship with the world I created and those characters mm -hmm. who I think of as children. So it is a good one to talk about because it's occupied many years of my life. Awesome. So, so that one truly had a moment of inspiration that was very clear. So I had a, you know, always loved Roald Dahl and um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. I mean, yep. a million influences. Yep. But I think as a child, I was always attracted, and you used this term earlier in our pre-interview. I don't know if I'm allowed to acknowledge that. Yeah. But um, the, through the rabbit hole idea. Yeah. You know, I, I've always loved stories where the protagonist, you know, visits an alternate realm, and there's usually a sage of some kind, and they provide some kind of tools that they bring back into their the, the real world mm -hmm. to cope. Mm -hmm. You know, they share the wisdom with others and cope. <clears throat> Love those stories, Indian in the Covered, and I mean, there's a million of them, Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, yeah. I remember that story. Um, uh, another one, which is the, the most classic and, in my mind, the, the most fun, Alice in Wonderland. Well, I've done shrooms. You said I could say anything, right? You can say whatever you want, dude. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, that's pretty, I mean, I've done LSD and shrooms, so I like it for that reason, <laughs> that the dude was whacked. <laughs> Um, which which whacked? They were what? all whacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the classic. I mean, through that's the rest, it was coined from that. Probably the way jumping the shark was coined by the Fonz. Right? You, you know what really gets what really gets me about that story is how fantastic it mm. was, and the fact that this was a dream, mm. and that this young lady had all of this stuff going on in the back of her head, mm. in the creative side of her mind, to tell. To tell a story, although the story seemed somewhat disjointed, mm -hmm. everything inside of it was just like, what? Well, see, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're hinting at, but that's what I love about the creative process is, you know, they say Emily Bronte wrote Wuthering Heights without really ever having left the house. She had very little life experience, but that speaks to this reservoir and you can call it archetypes or mm -hmm. trope. You can mm -hmm. see social conditioning and be empirical about it and say these are just tropes that are learned through social conditioning you know or you could be more Jungian about it and say we have these character archetypes that live in us and lived in our dreams pre-language is how I put it sure um, and that's why storytelling is so powerful because it touches the core of the human condition so I think you're kind of saying this whole world lived in her you know that he accessed right and it's very dreamlike well that's what I love you know, the joke, I've, ha I've talked to some screenwriters that say, you know, I don't worry about symbolism or significance or I don't write metaphors or parables. The meaning is all projection. They just write about the bank heist. You know, they don't, they're not going to build in a thinly disguised character arc, you know, like the vendetta against the wife who was murdered 20 years ago. I've literally had screenwriters, and maybe they're writing action adventure films that aren't really character driven. Right. But I it is either false humility or a little bit of facetiousness because the way I put it is the joke is on them because <clears throat> we'll attribute to it. We're, we connect dots by nature as humans. Yeah. So we're going to attribute significance to anything, you know? Our brains are going to look for some way to make sense of something. Yeah. If you leave it out, we'll make it up. There you go.
yeah, it's it's not a it's not a matter of if <laughs> humans are humans are creative and logical, and if you're going to throw creative without the logic behind it, we'll insert it ourselves. <laughs> I think a portion of that matters when it comes to again storytelling, like as in marketing. Um, and I'm thinking about Mad Men days <clears throat> when you're when you're talking about how to do a an ad campaign in, in the old t- TV ads banners, uh, the, the big billboards and stuff like that. And the, the thinking that went behind it. I really don't think enough credits given to the guys that created all of that stuff. It's geni- genius. It, it is. It is. It, I, a lot of the stuff that they created back in those days was ge- genius. It was, it was the, the, it honestly, <clears throat> and there was some really great campaigns, but there was a lot of minimum viable product that made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they left that up in their campaigns to the person that's looking at it to come mm-hmm. up with their own kind of well, thoughts. I call it interactive, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe we've left that in the dust a little bit as a society, just my opinion, meaning, you know, when I went to art center, it was $15,000 a term, which believe it or not, back then was a lot. That's, now it's yeah. like 50,000 a term, but yeah. back then, you know, 15,000, which meant, you know, three terms per year. So at that time it was $45,000 and that was 89 to 91. But we were paying that to literally not learn technique. We weren't learning how to dip the brush in the oil paint and apply it to a canvas. We were largely learning how to think. Yeah. So at that time it was called conceptual editorial illustration, meaning, you know, illustration was one. I remember that term actually. That's interesting. All my buddies, Greg Spolenka kind of, was at the forefront of that, Matt Mahurin, you know, they were a little older, so they became my teachers at Art Center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't want to get off track, but I think the point is like, you know, what conceptual art is, it's a whole genre. Yeah. And like you're saying, something is left, some dots are left to be connected by the patron. That's you cool. Know? And they're, yeah, so it's conceptual and there's a little work it engages the brain of the patron. And so in advertising, same thing. If you leave an open-ended question and their mind has to work to uh, sort of solve it, that's called a mnemonic device, right? Right, exactly. We're going to take a quick break because we got sponsors. You know how that works. <laughs> we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about connecting with purpose. I, I, there's, that's kind of where I'm driving this all to is, is being able to connect because as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's out raising capital, if that's not in there, uh, you're never going to bring somebody over to your side of the fence. I don't care what you do. You, you expressed it a little earlier, but storytelling and, and narratives change hearts and change minds, which is mm-hmm. absolutely correct. I want to dig into that a little bit. So short break, guys. We'll be right back right after this message. And we're back, guys. Your Java Chat, Coffee with Mike, sitting here with Dominic Domingo. Uh, just really enjoying our conversation. Dominic, you were talking a little bit about the inspiration of the book that you had written, a young adult book. Um, and I think there was a little bit more behind the rest of the craze, the inspiration for that story. Um, we left off about some of your influences, but what really created that? What really drove yeah. that whole thing? Yeah, sorry. I only went into some of my childhood influences to say, you know, I had carried around this you know, for many, many years, carried around a desire to write a through the rabbit hole story. <clears throat> so when my oldest niece was born, and she's literally 40 now with several kids of her own, you know, when she was a baby, I started one and dedicated it to her and, of course, never finished it. 
So okay. that's sort of lived in me in, as far as how my inspiration strikes. Sure, sure. So that's what I called sort of, you know, being primed and identifying your medium or your um, craft, you know, mm-hmm. and you could see almost anything and it would trigger something. Sure. So I just walked around with that. And then one day, I, I live in LA. I don't know how well you know the area. <laughs> do, you, do you know LA at all? Some, some parts, yeah. yes. Conan O'Brien did a great segment on the LA wash. And it's this hideous concrete lined channel that takes the Oh, yep. I know the wash. I know that. Okay. Yep. Okay. It used to be a natural river, but Roosevelt during the WPA just created some jobs by lining it with concrete. Yep. There was little flooding, but it really didn't demand what it you know what they've done to it yeah now it's now it's just this big concrete sidewalk in the, in the middle of the, the whole city <laughs> with graffiti <There's> a- <laughs> with graffiti yes <laughs> and there's a movement to re-naturalize it that i'm really into and i've been promoting that cause with the second book you know anyway cool. with, you know, there's some cities in asia where they've brought you know the natural um, indigenous wildlife back and we're sort of headed that way here in la but anyway it's pretty nice. and i live near it so one day I was just, and there's islands in the middle of the stream, right? Uh-huh. So it's sure. urban environment, chain link, barbed wire, graffiti, and beautiful islands in the middle of this channel. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I, <clears throat> one day I just had enough time to sort of wander down there and get off the beaten track and out of my elements. That helps with the creative process, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. The little uh, dendrites, neural circuits get the dendrites going. and Sure. Being out of your element is good for everyone. A little fresh air, change of scenery. So anyway, I had the luxury that day, and I just took a little walk down there. And on one of the islands was a homeless colony, which is not unusual, and it's grown immensely since then. Yeah. But it was it was like Tom Sawyer's Island. It was fascinating and that's beautiful. cool. Oh man, like tarps hanging from tree to tree. I, I wanted to live there. <laughs> if I'm ever homeless, this is where I'm going to end up. Yeah. And I, gotten close <clears throat> but anyway i i swear to god i may not be true but in my mind there was a water wheel churning in the water powering something <laughs> it was like a generator yeah and it could have anyway it could have uh, been blown out of proportion in the years since in my mind but i will go to my grave saying there was a water wheel churning in the water so it kind of ignited all that like oh man i've always wanted to write that story what if my sage was a homeless person on that island and you know but i just packed it in my back pocket and walked away another day probably two months later i went there and it was gone huh god knows anything could have happened but i was like oh man clearly there's a portal and you know that dude can appear or reappear at will sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So that was the inspiration. And then there is an organicness to the creative process if you're open to synchronicity and you look at the signs. So mm-hmm. again, months later, a friend asked me to art direct, well, actually direct a music video for her. And I started brainstorming and thumbnailing and cobbling images together. And I presented to her and her husband, who's her producer, and they didn't love it. It just didn't fly. And Again, I stuffed that in my back pocket. So anyway, it all just clicked and everything that had, I had been sort of developing mentally and literally doing thumbnailing just came together and that became the Nameless Prince. Uh, you know, which was exactly what I had always wanted to do, an alternate realm story through the rabbit hole. I've, I've heard, I'm going to have to grab the book now because I've heard the Nameless Prince title in communities that I'm in. 
mm. uh, a few times. So, and it's, yeah. it's, it's just now clicking. I have the author in front of me <laughs> that I'm talking to. Um, so, I, I think there are other properties out there. Maybe. I, isn't there a video game that uses that term? Uh, not that I know of, and I'm a gamer. Well, I investigated as much as I could at the time, and it's not like a movie where you have to go through a certain process to own the title. Right. But time, I did find one reference, and I think Jake Gyllenhaal was attached at one point. There was some video game property, and a, I think a film in the works, can't remember, with Jake Gyllenhaal attached. But uh, you may be thinking of that, don't know. I got a lot of readers in this community. They talk a lot about books and they talk a lot about fantasy and magic and stuff like that. So the Nameless Prince has come up a couple times. I've heard that title. Awesome. So, yeah, no, just, you know, validation, brother. It's out there. People know you. Um, it, I think one of the things about marketing, uh, thanks for sharing that, by the way. That's, that's a hell of a story for an inspiration. Yeah, we, we, a lot of us creatives, even me, because I, I write music, we backpack mm -hmm. a lot of things until something actually triggers. Right. I don't know what mines are. They just happen to come and hit me in the head. And all of a sudden I get super emotional. And if I'm driving, I have to literally pull over and just sit down and either say the words or write them out or type, text, type the text out and stuff. And then I can continue. Um, it, it's, it's a different process for me. I'm, I'm pretty uh, cerebral. My sister says she has to curl up in the fetal position and cry for a day before she starts writing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's too much work. I can't. Yeah. yeah for, it, it, it's, it's more for me. It's, like I have about 17 songs I haven't recorded. I got one that I did and published, um, but there's about 16 or 17 more that are, are done. And I mean, literally they all hit me. The, the sound of the music, the words, everything all came at once. And it was such an overwhelming feeling. I had to stop what I was doing. You write um, you the ukulele at one point? Uh, it's uh, ukulele guitar. I mean, but I hear symphonies in my head. I literally hear all the music and all the different types of instruments that belong. So it's, it's, if I get to somebody who actually knows how to produce music, um, then I'd be able to like fully produce these, these songs the way it should sound. And they still live in my head. They're written, but they're not out. Wow. Yeah, I so, am fascinated by that because I can come up with a melody and I clunk out chords on a piano, but I can't finish a song to save my life. Yeah. And I, thing with poetry, I suck. I wish I was good at it. I'm just not. But I do wonder, you know, do people start, everyone's different, right? But some yeah. people start with the melody then they figure out the chord progression yeah I've, okay. I've i actually had a dream one night and i regret not getting up and writing it down i had a dream one night sitting in a circle of of what looked to be a native tribe in africa wow singing a song clapping with the rhythm and i could hear and and in harmonies everything was right there and i woke up and my dumb ass said ah, i was just a dream and when i thought about it the next day i was like Stupid head. That was an inspiration. That was that was a that was a message you were supposed yeah, to write that down. Inspiration. Yeah. So I mean, this later, but I do want to say that your mind. So at Art Center, <clears throat> we were so busy with next assignment, then next week's assignment. Your brain was so full uh -huh. that every one of my fellow students and every one of my students for twenty years of teaching has had this experience. The only time your mind is free to connect those dots and get all the puzzle pieces to fit and give you that flash of inspiration, the solution to an assignment is A, in your sleep, or B, right as you wake up when your mind is still in an intuitive mode. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. But I, too, I don't want to get too esoteric, but that reservoir of archetypes we were talking about, 
you know, everything that's in our DNA, our cultural heritage, all of our parents' baggage, all of that, our cultural baggage and ethnic baggage. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, that's, you very well could have been visited by that tribe in your sleep. You never know. There's, there's the, and, and it, it leads to what like a lot of people like to call the woo-woo side of life. Um, that there are inspirations that come from, some people call it the ether, some call it the universe, whatever. The connection to that mm-hmm. brings all kinds of thoughts, brings all kinds of inspirations. And some things where we sit there and we go, no way, mm-hmm. but it's real. If it wasn't, you wouldn't have thought of it. The dualism idea, do you want to believe consciousness is separate from our biological form or not? You know, that's a huge debate, but it's like clearly something is going on here, you know, where consciousness is independent to a degree from your body. So I do believe, you know, there are thought forms and there, you know, in terms of creativity, there's entire books on how mm-hmm. either you receive thought forms or mm-hmm. you Interestingly you enough, a lot, of, a lot of the success books that are out there, including Think and Grow Rich. Right. Really? He talks about connecting to the ether. He talks about connecting to the higher power that there's a separate consciousness besides ours that we can tap into to get the inspirations that we need. So it's, it's not, it's not a foreign concept. It's not easy to prove for obvious reasons, but shit, there's a ton of anecdotal examples that prove that something's going on. So yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to bottle everything. I love No, the you can't honestly, it's kind of a, that's a stifling of creativity. You don't want to do that. That's, that's living in the box. Why would you do that? I just think we need to have the conversations, you know, we'll never figure it all out, but it's fun talking about it. So. It's true. I, I'm sure Socrates and Plato had fun days talking about shit too. Why not? I mean, I don't think they got paid for it, but hey, you know what it is. It is what it is. I wanted to move into a, a subject about, about talking about connection. When we're telling stories, we're always trying to connect with people. We're trying to get them to see what we want them to see. Um, one of my mentors told me um, philosophy's <laughs> definition is discussion in truth, leading mm-hmm. a person to a certain truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's done through storytelling. So when you're doing that, connecting with a purpose, I'd like your perspective on what that looks like. What does that mean to you? And how does that apply in the creative process? Mm, God, you asked great questions. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I'm long-winded is because your questions are great. But, um, okay, I'm just going to open my mouth. Ready? Go I, for it. I think we all have subjective realities, right? there may or may not be a universal reality. Mm-hmm. So the way I put it is, and it, it just explains so much, <laughs> including the divisiveness right now, mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. and otherwise. But if you think of it this way, a, a, a dolphin will come into a room and experience, I don't know how he's going to get there, but let's say he walks into a room on his fins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's going to use sonar to experience the physical environment. Sure. Fly with a million eyes is going to, or a thousand eyes, it's going to use very different sense organs to perceive the re, quote unquote reality. Absolutely. The drugs I mentioned earlier, I've done enough to know that if you slightly alter that chemical balance, even one iota, that wall is breathing, or those yogurts are stacked in perfect pyramids as far as the eye can see. So that should be enough. And there's a million other factors, but sure. that's a perception accounts for the reality you experience and really the empirical reality we all agree to in order to function mm-hmm. and bridges is nothing really more than consensus. And that includes science. Your findings have to be validated by the scientific community to become, you know, truth. Yeah. And fact. 
So anyway, I don't want to go on and on about that. You mentioned Plato and Socrates. It's like, if you use the platonic method, you can pretty much disprove anything. You know, yeah. if you ask enough questions, you'll see everything is a matter of perspective. So to, to, to rewrite it in here, I don't expect to speak to everyone all the time with my work. Yeah. You know, like we were kind of hinting at earlier, you know your peeps, you know your audience, you can be elitist about it, or you can, you know, be a little more like Disney trying to please everybody all the time. But I think that's number one is knowing who you're speaking to. Yeah. And I think in terms of writing, what it is to be a great writer is to know is something going to land cerebrally or emotionally? I, I think head, heart, and gut. You know, cerebrally, emotionally, or just viscerally. Yep. And, and culturally, what's culturally relative? What's universal? So first, anyway, so I guess I think about all of that or subconsciously consider all of that. Mm -hmm. But then I just love that projection, which we were talking about, the projection mm -hmm. of the patron is part of the creative process. Okay. So I wrote one screenplay where as long as I was honoring the inspiration, following the organicness of the creative process, right. I just allowed myself to write. And let's say a butterfly emerges in my writing. Don't know what it means. It's all subconscious. It's all visceral, but I'm going to bring it back. So then you bring it back later. You know, and truly, in that case, the butterfly turned out to be the most, and it wasn't what you think. It wasn't transformation or renewal or any of that. It was something entirely different. But it ended up being the most powerful thing in there because I didn't analyze it. So what I would say is, I know what I'm, I don't have a political agenda per se. Of course, I want people, I am gently, gently offering uh, a certain worldview. So the sentimentality is death in art. And I personally think that art becomes propaganda if you have an agenda. Yeah, political it level. can. It can. Yeah, I'm not about to define art or beauty, any of that. But for me, and in my milieu, I don't want to strong arm anyone into anything. Of course, and what I figured out in my 20s is everything I've ever done creatively, if I had to put a, an umbrella over it, would be simply to, and it sounds condescending, but I was in my 20s when I figured this out, is to enlighten, you know, to what? Hmm. Well, I don't know, other levels of existence, whether it's the psychological level, literally the energetic level. I mean, there's a million levels to every moment. Yeah. So I was, yeah, wanting to and get people to look beyond the surface. That's something a 22-year-old would say. You know, I don't see it that way anymore, but there's something going on where I am, you know, taking in my worldview. I have, a, because of my disposition and temperament, like many artists, I have a desire to re regurgitate it <laughs> and offer that's, it up. That's what we do. I mean, that's essentially, marketers are the same way. We have a worldview. We have a, we have a mission to be able to relate to others and bring forth that worldview, whatever that is, to either entice somebody to look at a service, buy a product, et cetera, et cetera. And that whole, that whole process that you're talking about, mm -hmm. if you're offering it honestly, and you're offering it in a manner that, like you said, with all of the, all of the components that you just mentioned, and there's a lot, I didn't get to write them all down. There's a lot. And, and for those of you that are listening, I hope you're getting this. There's a lot to this. It's not just mm -hmm. a, let's sit down and see what comes out of our heads. Yeah, not quite. There's a bit more to it. Of course. And if you're conscious of what it is that you're doing, including your worldview and the things that you want to bring out, I think that's what you're saying is that you're going to be able to connect with a purpose that's clear mm -hmm. or clearer to the people that are receiving that creative expression. Because I think 
I think a lot of times when people put, you know, they, they talk about disruptive advertising, they talk about um, how digital and content need to be to be able to get people's attention. And I see it. I, I, I literally write search terms in Google, bro, just to see what kind of ads pop up because I want to see what they're up to. Right. And I look at it and I'm like, God, there's, no, there's nothing behind this. I mean, it's the same, it's the same regurgitative crap every time. Nobody's trying to transform anything. Nobody's trying to change anything. Now, either I'm not paying attention well enough or people have gotten lazy. No, it's the world. The world is not into content right now. You know, they're not, at least not what I've been seeing. Well, the conceptual approach that I spoke to earlier, I mean, I'm 51 years old, so I'm going to sound like an old man, but I do think there's something going on where there's easy there. I'm 48. We ain't that far apart. I just, I am what I am <laughs> about certain things, certain pendulum swings, but I will go to my grave saying there's a lot of mimicking right now and it yeah, could be social media. I have students that literally are really convincing in their mimicry. It's amazing. And they do well. They'll get jobs at DreamWorks, PDR, Pixar, and then they learn, they grow a soul, if that makes sense. Yep. The mimicry is they don't really have a choice at that point. Yeah, but they're focusing on craft and technique. Yeah, exactly. They have to deliver. But it's just a life journey, you know, and they just kind of grow into what you preface this with, which is connecting your craft with a sense of purpose, an authentic sense of purpose. Thank you for using the word authentic. Yeah, it comes with (laughs) Do I get points for that? You get 21 points for that. I think it (laughs) comes with time. A lot of people, it's enough to just practice that violin with discipline and learn the technique. But I do think at some point, a lot of, not everyone, but at some point, a lot of us connect the craft we've mastered with a sense of purpose. Yeah. I, I've, I've always been, and, and I learned this from a, um, a friend that I was with. Um, they went to Art Institute uh, mm. in Illinois, mm. in Chicago. And <clears throat> one of the, they learned to become a graphic designer but they were, their associates was in art. Their major was art mm-hmm. and their, their art creation was wonderful. They came up with beautiful things. They were, they were really good at photography. They learned the technical stuff in graphic design and all of a sudden they were just like, kaboom, it, they were in demand. And I was like, well, yeah, people are seeing the skill. Mm-hmm. I've also got friends that own other marketing agencies. They will not hire a graphic designer that has not been an art major first. And I really? didn't, oh I yeah. That. They're, well, they're huge because if you think about it, learning of the technical tools is not, an, is, is not difficult. It's whether or not you can study the, the, the premise and the principles and practices behind it. That's easy. But to be an artist, to come out and design something literally in uh, Illustrator or, or, or you know, take a photo and really change it into something creative and then turn it into a graphic interpretation there's got to be something interpretive you there's got to be something interpretive there has to be a creative element inside there that the when you as the agency owner or salesperson or what have you takes it to the client and goes listen our graphics designer came up with this i want you to take a look at this and let me explain to you why mm-hmm. clients freak out when you do that and i and in, in a nice way they freak out because they're just like how much freaking time did they spend on this mm-hmm. and this is just the demo holy crap <laughs> and and i think I think that allows a better connection with authentic purpose because at that point, the artist has taken a look at the business, taken a look at what their intentions are, taken a look at what their brand strategy is and goes, this is why. 
it's the flower and the butterfly. Mm. This is why it's the, the plane versus the car, that kind of, that kind of intention. And it makes it easier for the brand or the company or the individual to connect with their tribe. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, I do, I kind of said it's nice when you can figure out what's universal and what's extremely personal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the deal. But I just want to qualify one thing in case I sound like an elitist. I do think there's room for technicians. I mean, God knows. There will always, there will always be. So there's no on any of it. I so respect some of my colleagues that, you know what, their life is about putting roofs over heads, meals on the table, and they have a craft that allows them to indulge everything that actually matters in life. Relationships, you know, again, children, family. So no judgment on people that don't have quote unquote much to say. None either. None either. Just it was it was a mere it was a mere relation of how again, going along with the connecting with purpose. Having that having that in the background and, and i'm sure they have creative too don't get me wrong it, every technician has to have some creative in them they're not they're not without it mm-hmm. so well, is, you know people say what is a talent is it god-given is it all learned like i don't go there because it's this complex that's a, that's a that's a very yeah that's a very complex con- discussion that's yeah, a philosophical it, discussion because you, you could say you could say it's one and then it's like well what about this person who has none and learned well, it all. So let's say you have the temperament and disposition, and you have fingers to play the violin. You gotta have fingers, right? <laughs> yeah. You argue maybe not, but I think you need eyes to be a plain air painter. I'm not sure. You know. And so let's say you have all those assets, but then you have to have the disposition to want to sit there and replicate something. You know, you can't have ADD uh, really to to have the discipline. So a lot of factors have to come together. Yeah. But I think, of agreeing that connecting it with what we're calling content or something to say is a whole nother animal. You, you mentioned the word discipline, and this is one of my, uh, see, <laughs> I have a little joke, I'm OCD, ADD, it has to be perfect, just not for long. <laughs> right. um, but you, like, you, talk, you talk about the discipline of writing. Now, I have written a book. Um, a, my mentor literally told me how to do it. Boy, what a fight that was for me internally, because I'm, I'm that way. When you're talking about the discipline of writing, and, and this goes for any creative process, whether you're doing it for a marketing campaign, a book, a, a screenplay, or what have you, how do you get there, dude? I mean, mm-hmm. what, where, do you, where do you start? Uh, I mean, you, you can time block it and still find yourself distracted. You can, you can plan out this is going to be the day and find out the day was the wrong day because you just ain't got it. Right, right. Well, thank you for asking that. I... I I'm learning that I do have adult ADD. I'm not saying I'm exempt. I, I think it's kicking in at 51. <laughs> but I was lucky enough not to suffer from that, but it is kicking in at 51. So I'm not exempt. But what I will say is what helps a lot of people I've known, you know, so of course in writing, for example, you know, know where you're headed, do that thumbnailing. I put my little three by five cards. I do it on the computer now, of course, but if I can, I literally use push pins and I put them on a core cord and you take, let's say you're building a, and I know you're talking a little more about academic writing, but. Uh, there, no, 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 any writing. I mean, even if you're sitting down and doing creative, if you're not in the zone, you ain't getting shit done today. Right. But I'm saying having a foundation, I literally move those three by five cards around and make sure the inciting incident is there. And then, you know, the conflict is escalating to the climax. You just got to have all those beats in place and revisit them and really have a solid foundation. A lot of, and I'm not poo-pooing it, 
a lot of um, authors just sit down and start writing. Nothing wrong with that. And it's mm -hmm. called, in animation, we call it straightforward animation as opposed to pose to pose, yeah. which is the key for, you know, the key uh, poses down first yep. and filling all those in-betweens. Yep. So there's no wrong way, I think, if you just sit down and like <laughs> I think we've all done that one too. It's some some point in our careers. <laughs> it's awesome. I love that intuitive first pass, gut level. You know, so there's no right or wrong, truly. But I do know people get frustrated again with technique and discipline. If somebody has great ideas but they can't execute them because of limit, and I know many untrained artists who hit a wall and they're just frustrated. Yeah. So that's where technique helps if you have a vision that you can't execute. But I guess what I'm saying is if one day you're really inspired and another day, you know, wild horses couldn't drag you to the computer to write for five minutes, A, I'll say I'm glad I had a nine to five for 11 years that taught me to access my creative process eight hours a day, five days a week for 11 years. That is a gift. That gave so, you a structure. Yeah. That gave you a place to play. Yeah, so I, I am lucky that I can access it without too many conditions. Yeah. Maybe that just takes time and discipline. But in terms of writing, I do say when I hit a wall or when I drop, I have plenty of things I've never finished, plenty of novels and stories I've never finished. Mm -hmm. But that's I didn't know where I was headed. Right. Well, where, what it is, if I have a structure and I do know, and it'll, it could evolve, but I do know where I'm headed and I actually know the resolution, mm -hmm. it may you know, Madeline Lingle said, well, that character just had to die. I, it took on a life of his own, and I, I had no choice. And I love that the world you create does take on a life of its own. It but is. initially, I have a game plan. What that does, that structure allows me to be more intuitive in the moment. It frees me up to let that butterfly land when it comes in from my subconscious. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally. And magic happens. So structure actually allows for more intuition and more magic. Yet, believe it or not, that's going to lead into the next subject. But we got to take one more break, and then we're going to talk one little one little thing about transformation via artistic expressions. Awesome. Uh, prepare for the wrap up. Yeah, we'll 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 get there, guys. We're going to take another short, quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, gang, this is the last section. We're sitting here at Java Chat, interviewing Dominic Domingo. <clears throat> we've been having we've been having an an awesome conversation on creativity and. Uh, I'm just really glad that we have him here. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, transformation because when we're when we're telling stories, we're talking about especially like the hero stories. We're mm. talking about transformation, mm. um, and when we're talking about transformation via artistic expression, um, that, that little deeper discussion. Give us your take, uh, one on the whole that whole transformation, and then via artistic expression how that applies. Well, yeah, there's a lot to explore. We haven't even mentioned that word hero yet, right? Thank you. There well, is I, that too. Yeah, no, you said it. But <laughs> I, we talked about through the rabbit hole, but of course, it sounds cliche, but the hero's journey. You know, you could argue almost every story is, the, is a hero's journey. So if Absolutely. you're engaged in the goals, they call it the wants and the needs in screenwriting. Mm -hmm. But if you're engaged in the goal of the protagonist, you're going to transform with him or her. There's been entire studies that say novels create empathy. Empathy. Yeah. 
because you train yourself to be invested in the protagonist's wants and needs, and you hang out with them for 345 pages for the resolution. You could argue that we only learn and grow as individuals through conflict resolution, yep. which 100% explains reality television. Mm -hmm. We love not just drama, but <laughs> literally conflict resolution. So yeah. then the macro, by extension, that's how society transforms, right? Right. right. Micro and macro. Sorry, but that's how I look at it. No, no, it's, it, it makes sense. It's your, that's, it's in there. Just one more thing I love about storytelling, and the reason I do it is you could argue that inner transformation on the, mi you know, the micro level, the personal level, happens through conflict resolution, which is inherent in narrative. You take anyone that doesn't even identify as a storyteller, make them tell, put a gun to their head if you have one, and make them tell a story. Mm -hmm. It'll with the conflict, yes. it's just wired into human nature, you know, and hopefully it'll resolve, but there will always be conflict. We just in innately know that. So not to go on and on, but I guess I feel like every story is a hero's journey. That transformation happens with that conflict resolution. Yep. And, but as far as the lifelong journey, and then that's why I do it. I don't think it's any small thing. I think as a society, you know, that which doesn't continue to evolve and grow doesn't adapt and begins to die. Mm -hmm. So I'm very invested in contributing. It's, it all sounds cliche, but in giving back, contributing, because what's, what's the other option? Futility? Mm. I'm not going to throw my hands in the air and give up on humanity. Yeah. So I contribute. Anyway, and people do it in different ways. I love... Activism, uh, it's not in my blood, but thank God, you know, I say amen to anyone that tries to enforce change, whether it's through pacifism, activism, art, literature, what, storytelling, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm very passionate about it. I hope I'm kind of answering your question, but I think the journey of people connecting their craft to an authentic sense of purpose is maybe a slightly different conversation. And no, no, I think I think they I think they tie in right in. And and you you talked about a little bit about the heroes, and everybody's going to hear this. Anybody that's been to an MCU vi uh, movie has already seen it. Every hero in every story that they have goes through that transformation. Mm -hmm. They have a problem. They got to figure it out. They go through some problem resolution. All of a sudden, they're different. That stage, they always deny it at first. Yeah, they always deny it at first. What's funny is is that um, I've seen. Um, I've seen small little micro videos on like, on like TikTok talking about how, um, Tony Stark, every time there's a, another movie, they say he learned that move from the last movie when he fought so-and-so and then they show the clip and then they compare it to the new movie and they're like, son of a gun. Yes, he did. Um, classic, classic, um, when the Clone Wars came out, Kenobi faced off with Maul. Uh, are we trying to forget about those though? Uh, I, I don't know. We might, we might be. <laughs> but Kenobi remembered the move that Maul used on Qui-Gon. Right. And was ready for it. And in so doing, got yeah. over on Maul. So, Sorry. Yeah. No, no. You're, it's, it's, isn't that how one's personal? I distinguish between style and voice, but we can talk about that or not. But that's how a brand is created, actually. And that's how maybe a... <laughs> <laughs> voice is created is you fall back on tropes you know i somebody asked me the other day what do you this one interviewer kept using horrible words like what do you loathe in yourself and my answer was always like well i try not to be self-loathing but it, it, 
it was uh, the part of the world that he was from. It was a very self-loathing, <laughs> and it was actually called the hero's journey, by the way, the, the hero's journey of Dominic Domingo. But there was just like inherent self-loathing in all the questions. So I think one of them was, what do you hate most about your work? And my answer was, well, I guess I don't love it when I fall back on old tricks, you know, instead of growing within a piece. So to go back to something we said earlier, like if I haven't transformed through the creative process, if I haven't learned, you know, connected some dots or learned something along with my protagonist by writing it, mm -hmm. then I probably haven't engaged in the creative process. I have gotten to a point in everything I've written where even though I have a structure, I actually don't know the ending. So it's scary because it's a lot of responsibility to write your own ending. You're making decisions uh -huh. for your life. The monsters, you know, the monsters you come out of your mouth become neural circuits that sort of get fixed over time. There's this idea that every belief is just a thought you keep thinking. It's a familiar neural circuit. Yep. So it's a lot of response. This is why actors are often in therapy regularly. As a writer, I have to be careful when I write my own endings because I'm kind of making decisions for my life. So I'll just leave it at that. Like, again, that's why I'm addicted to the creative process because it's how we grow. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's literal studies on the human brain that when somebody actually changes a neural path, the wrinkles sometimes come out. A new wrinkle is, is formed in a different shape simply in because brain. the brain has, has learned something new. So right. it, 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 yeah, you're not wrong, dude. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> wow. Self-loathing. There's, there's one thing and, and it can go too far to the other side too, as far as, well, what, what, how much do you love this? And, and over, stepping that i mean there's there's a happy middle in here there are things that we don't love good good point there are things that we do love and we do have a tendency to try to focus more on what we do love while we shouldn't forget what we don't because like you said we're writing the ending as we live our yeah. journey we're writing it day by day we don't know what the end is no no but to connect it back to this hero's journey because mm -hmm. i don't I don't want to drop a bomb, but I've had a lot, very good reason, you know, the cliche brush with death recently. I had my brush with death. So, you know, everything's on the fast track. Like my sense of mortality is looming. So my sense of purpose has accelerated exponentially and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> no, no, I, I, you know what? There's a, there's, a point in, there's a point in life. Sometimes it comes very early. Sometimes it comes midway. Sometimes it comes later on. Everybody's place in that moment, because that is a transformational moment, of course it's, it's different no i'm living it and yeah so i guess what i what was the last thing you said i was trying to follow up on um... brain dump love oh. those yeah anyway so i i'm big on transformation because i've just been living it and that's what's driving me a little bit there's something about the neural circuits like Oh, with the brain changing and how it, how, when you change a thought, when you actually change a thought process, your brain actually changes shape a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's neuroscience. It's, it, they've, they've done studies on it. They've observed the brain. And when you actually experience a transformational moment, it can literally, I mean, your brain paths change, your neurons change. They, they talk different. Right. Yeah. Brain Yep. Yeah. So I've been living it, and I mean, I guess one thing I could say is, like, there's people do affirmations and mantras, right? Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to reverse a non, you know, a product, non-productive thought that's not serving you. It's pretty hard to reverse it. So 
you know, I found it more helpful. And there's a school of thought that says, just meditate. <laughs> if you just clear all those neural circuits regularly, then you create the room for new thought forms, new neural circuits that eventually become beliefs if they keep firing. Yep. So I don't know. That's the one thing I would say is meditating has helped me through my transition more than sort of changing the narrative by reversing the mantra. That's kind of, it's like swimming upstream, yeah. right? Yeah, it is essentially, especially because we've all, we've all had our programming. Um, oh. There's, there's a, there's a few schools of thought on that. And meditation is definitely one of the ones that I've, I mean, I, I learned martial arts and taught martial arts. So it's one of those things that, you know, I got used to over time. Um, and then at the same time, the affirmations things, which is the fight upstream. But as I meditate, I find it's easier to swim upstream and the river is not so heavy anymore. Right. Well, and that's what meditation does, right? Yeah. It calms the waters. It's well, the difference. You know, as an artist, like I feel pretty blessed. My sister is also a vocal instructor and I, ah, awesome. I got a scholarship in high school and I'm not a singer, but you know, it's always been part of my life. And I would say, you know, I don't need to chant because when I sing Ave Maria, I feel it resonating in every chamber, you know, every sinus. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. When a plain air painter is on location and paints, I'm sorry, they're limiting the mental chatter, actually, the linear thought. And I don't remember if it's gamma waves that we're aiming for, mm -hmm. or alpha, but it does literally the same thing as meditation. So I kind of feel, you know, blessed that I've engaged in that over the years. And even if I can't meditate, at least I have my craft to, you know, simplify the chatter in my brain. Makes sense. Makes absolute sense. Wow. We wrap these up? things go so damn fast. Um, <laughs> we got so much more to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to schedule more time with you, brother. I'd like that. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean the insight to the creative process has just begun in my opinion we haven't gone that deep but we've given a good 10,000 foot view in my opinion and i think this is a good place for people to start when you start thinking about transformation artistic expression mm. things of that nature um thank you for sharing mm. that insight and coming and hanging out with me having a cup of coffee being a couple of amiable zanies that are just a couple of good creatives that understand how how it should work Amiable Zanies, that's going to be my band name. And I've been called worse. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I can't remember where I got the, the term from. It came from a movie, I'm pretty sure. But I, I looked well, at I'm that and I was like, I enjoyed it. A little kookiness in my friends. Uh, you're supposed to have a little bit. If you don't, you're, eh, anyway, another time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I, I do have one last question. You've been through all of this. And I ask this to everybody. Um, What's your biggest challenge you're dealing with right now in, in, in your world, in your business, what you do? Well, in my business, God, it's hard to separate, isn't it? Life. Mm. <laughs> Especially when it's a part of your life. Yes. Well, life reflects art, right? Art mm -hmm. reflects life. So I don't know if I can, you know, extract the business part, but it literally because my sense of purpose is my business, mm -hmm. you know, I feel passionate about in life is my business. So, and that's not everybody, I guess, but um, I don't know. My biggest challenge is renewing hope every day, right? It's not falling victim to futility. And I kind of hinted at this earlier, continuing to believe that this is worth fighting for. Meaning, what is this? I don't know, forward movement, growth, 
transformation individually. So it's especially right now, and I don't want to get too political, but things are very divisive. I think we would all agree to that. And in my neighborhood, it's taking different forms. Yeah. And so you, you feel like you can't have a voice because it's all too overwhelming, right? It's all futile, but also we're not allowed to have an opinion. I don't want to say too much, you know, if we're white, you know? And so it's very intimidating. My sister started writing an essay and she thought, I don't want to be a Karen, if you know that term. <laughs> and she's like, I have no right. And I feel the same way. I really don't have a right to an opinion on certain matters. So I'm kind of waiting things out. But truly, in my world, you know, Martin Luther King said, and I don't want to misquote him, but something like, you know, the, the journey, the, the, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, right? Eventually, eventually. In that. I also think, you know, now I'm going to get really cliche, Michael Jackson said it starts with the man in the mirror. Yep. And then I, was it Gandhi that said, be the change you wish to see in the world? I believe it was. Okay, so personally, I'm invested in every one of us transforming personally through art because it doesn't, persuasion does not work in the didactic realm as we've sort of agreed to. So this is why I do it. But it can seem very naive to people. So I, I told my sister over the phone the other day on a bike ride, probably a big mistake, I was huffing and puffing, but I, I <laughs> my latest conference for an essay with her in the middle of COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement and all this strife, I was just sharing exact all those quotes I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, well, you come by it honestly. Our mom wore rose-colored glasses too, very Pollyanna. And I thought, oh, no, 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 it's everything. It's everything. And I tried to say this earlier, like, I've always embraced the shadow. Thomas More talks about embracing the shadow, the good and the ugly. Yeah. I've never had blinders. I think I'm a realist. I, I'm not in denial about anything. I don't have that gift. But um, I've also been called a romantic. I, it surprised me, but I thought, yeah, I guess I am. So anyway, my, my point is, um, my biggest challenge is renewing that hope every day that it's not Pollyanna to think if we all did our inner work, our introspection, not that we need to figure out the secrets of the universe, but if we all... You know, COVID forced a lot of people to get comfortable with those cobwebby, shadowy corners of their own mind because of the isolation. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been toting that my entire life. I, you know, yeah. I mentioned earlier, I identified, I was trying to enlighten people. Another way of putting it is, I was trying to be a poster boy for introspection. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, it couldn't be more relevant right now. I truly believe if everybody did their homework spiritually, that Actually, it sounds so naive, but the war, the strife, the cultural, you know, angst, all that would subside, and the divisiveness mm -hmm. would subside. It does start within. Yeah, it always so, starts with this. There's, there's only one person you have control of. And if you're working on that person, that mm -hmm. starts transforming everything else around you. You believe that, though? Like, by extension, how could it not? Wouldn't there be less war if everybody practiced compassion and the empathy? Peace and that's the biggest thing that I think that's lacking in our country right now and around the world actually is, is empathy mm. um, and unfortunately humankind is whether they're in a, a free society or not humankind is still very much self-centered if they were right. self if they were more self-aware and this is again this is my opinion no I'm with you I'm with if, you. if there was more self-awareness mm -hmm. and empathy 
yeah, I think there would be a lot, I think it'd be a lot different worldwide. We wouldn't hear the bad news that we hear every day. We wouldn't be- It certainly wouldn't hurt. <laughs> it, it certainly, yeah, it certainly wouldn't hurt if people would just start being more aware of what's going on with themselves and understanding that some of the bad things that happen to you aren't your fault. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of how do I change me mm. to better my environment, to better my society, to better, yeah, I'm with you. I get that. That makes absolute sense. That's cool, dude. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna do this again. Uh, I'll I'll make sure that we reach out and get another another fun one because we got a lot more stuff to talk about in filmmaking and creative and all of that kind of stuff because that all matters as well as far as business and entrepreneurship. Uh, I want to thank you hmm. sincerely for coming on and hanging out, sharing your insights, sharing your expertise, your message. Uh, this has been uh, this has been a true pleasure. Really want to thank you for that. It was stimulating on this end too. I glad to hear it. <laughs> um, so, where can people find you online? Well, I guess a good place to start is my website because it links to literally, you name it, all the social okay. media platforms. My online portfolio, which actually a lot of the Disney stuff, you know, on the films you mentioned, is on my online portfolio. Awesome. So, is Dominic Domingo? What is it? Dominic Domingo dot com. Okay, and we'll have that link, you guys, in the comments. So yeah, yeah. So that's my work in the animation entertainment realm mm -hmm. and um my my work my literary works which are out there you know can be found on barnes and noble and amazon and at the publisher itself which is twilight times okay but i guess a good place to start might just be dominicdomingo.com it's my very rudimentary <laughs> and i need you later professionally because i'm just kicking branding into high gear right now but I am starting, you know, building my platform. So that's a hub. But the important thing is it links to my, you know, Goodreads author profile. It links to my author blog. It links to Twitter, everything else, you know. Sweet. That's, we'll talk about that. No problem. I got plenty of ideas on how to blow that up for you. And really yeah. well done. And, and we'll, we'll talk. But that the, um, I'm going to go back to my community and talk to them about The Nameless Prince because I've heard that title and I'm going to share this with them. I want them to hear you. I hope it's not the Jake Gyllenhaal thing. I, no, I, I, I really don't think it's Jake Gyllenhaal. I think I really think it's you. Um, <laughs> I, I will make sure and I'll let you know. Um, but this is, this is the kind of stuff that I like because it really expresses the other side of things. It's not the technical side. It's not the self-improvement necessarily side. It's the creative side. It's the other side of this that is also necessary. Um, there is a creative process for branding. There mm -hmm. is a creative process for business, for marketing, for all of that stuff. Nobody talks about it. Not in, not enough, anyway. Everybody tries to gamify this and they want to strategize that and it's just not enough. So thank you again uh, for all of you that are listening. You know how we love to end our, our podcast. We love every single one of you. We thank you for listening, for watching here on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Hit the bell because the bell tells you when the next one comes up. And then if you're listening on, you know, whatever your favorite, Stitcher, CastBox, iPod, Goop, whatever, make sure you download this episode. Keep it. Listen to it a few times. There's some killer gold in this one. Um, and, and if you're listening on Anchor, you can support us. Feel free to make a donation. Every bit counts. Helps us keep this little one rolling uh, until we get to be bigger. And then we'll just get bigger sponsors. Uh, but until we do this again, um, from both of us to all of you, we want to tell you, stay up, stay healthy, stay safe, and live.
Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.